Today is Sunday, January 21st, 2018, and this is Celtic Speed here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. I'm Evan Valenti, joining you right before the Celtics get to the take on the Orlando Magic today. Episode 246 is brought to you by RxBar. Go to rxbar.com backslash CLNS, enter the promo code CLNS at checkout for 25% off your first order. Today's show is also brought to you by eHarmony right now. My listeners get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Enter my code CELTICSBEAT at checkout. And folks, before we get to our featured guest for this episode, I just want to take a moment here just to kind of straighten everything out because, you know, I don't don't know how anybody can watch a team in Cleveland give up 148 points yesterday and not think that the Eastern Conference at this point is a little uh, a little wide open. And Celtics definitely have as good of a chance as anybody to capitalize on that. Defensively, the Cavs are a mess. Shout out to John Wallach and 98.5 The Sports Hub. It's been 46 years since the Cleveland Cavaliers have given up 148 points in a game which only illustrates exactly how unbelievably terrible it is to give up 148 points. It only happens once every 50 years if you're a somewhat competent franchise. And this is a disturbing trend, I think, if you're Cleveland. In the, this month alone, the Cavs have given up 148 points to the Thunder, 118 to the Warriors, 133 to the Raptors, 127 to Minnesota, 127 to Orlando, and 110 to Boston in a game which Kyrie Irving flat out didn't even really play that well. Again, this month alone, nine games, the Cavs are averaging 118 points given up per game. Small sample size, yeah, no question about that, and they're probably... They, they're, they're going to get better. There's just, there's just no way that team can't actually get a little bit better than that. But and, and look, they're not done adding pieces either, but they're going to have LeBron and they're going to be taken seriously. But yet they have a serious problem. LeBron James or not, you just can't survive in the playoffs when you give up 118 points per game. There are too many good teams, too many good coaches, too many offensive good players. And I don't think you could just basically turn on a switch and become some above-average de- defensive team when your roster doesn't really have that many guys on it. And let's not pretend this is like not something we haven't seen before. The de- Cavs defensively last year were really bad. They were 20th in the entire NBA. And I don't want to sound like a homer here, but you know this is a Celtics podcast. The Celtics, you know, they got beat four to one in a series. Don't get me wrong; it's not great. But if you look at it a little bit closer, it took a superhuman effort from Kyrie in Game 4 to stop that series going back to Boston, tied 2-2. Isaiah Thomas was 100% for the times that he played during that game. And yet, if you look at the points allowed per game, Cleveland still averaged about 100 points allowed per game, right? And they played a, a Warriors team that blew them out of, out of the arena points. Kevin Durant talked about it on Bill Simmons' podcast before that, you know, they, they looked at what the Celtics did offensively, and it wasn't maybe the second action, it was the third action, the fourth action after that. Uh, that would get open shots. And instead of having Avery Bradley, who took 23 shots in Game 3 and 20 shots in Game 5, instead of Marcus Smart shooting wide-open jump shots, instead of Jay Crowder shooting wide-open jump shots, it was Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Like, that definitely matters. <laughs> it's significantly different. And it doesn't look like Cleveland has cleaned it up on that end. Meanwhile, the Celtics, they've upgraded and probably still aren't done getting better. I mean, they still are going to add somebody to the deadline, whether you believe Gordon Hayward's coming back or not. Who knows? We don't know. Younger guys can get better. They're going to have more rest. They're going to have more practice time. They are going to get better. Some of the sloppiness we've seen from them 
is probably going to go away. Oh, and yeah, they are the best defensive team in the NBA right now and are capable of putting up huge offensive nights. LeBron is still LeBron. He's still unbelievable. So the best player in the NBA. And even with a team that has really bad defense, you still have to take that team very seriously because you have to respect what they do on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they are still an elite offensive unit, and you have to play really well defensively to actually beat them from night on night out. But, and I don't think this is just the Celtics. Everybody in the Eastern Conference should feel a little bit better about where they stand right now, not just the Celtics. Look at Toronto. DeMar DeRozan has been unbelievable this year. They should feel pretty confident. Uh, Washington, and maybe if they make a move, and they, they're never one to lack confidence anyway, but you know they can feel a little bit more confident about where they are. Milwaukee with Giannis. I mean, we're all kind of waiting for the Bucks and see what they do, but when you have one of the best players in the NBA on your team, you, you deserve to be taken seriously. And the entire NBA knows that the Cleveland Cavaliers' problems are for real, and they need to address them. Whether they can or not, we'll see. You saw Mark Stein come out with that report. They're interested in George Hill and uh, DeAndre Jordan in separate deals. But that being said, you look at Boston right now. They are stable as an organization. They are going to get better. They have great coaching. They have good youth. They've now gotten through a, the, probably the hardest part of their schedule already, and here we are in January. Life is good. I mean, we've talked about this a lot in this podcast, how fortunate the Southern started to be in this position. Luck has really bounced their way a lot of the times. And now that you've seen Cleveland sort of, you know, they got the rack together a little bit, but then they have sort of start to unravel again. This is only good news if you're a fan and if you're a player and you're part of the organization as the Boston Celtics are. But let's move on to our feature guest for today. You know him as one of the top basketball trainers in all of the NBA today. He happens to have the Celtics Jason Tatum is of his clients. Uh, you have uh, Shemi Ozil, another one of his clients. He's the CEO of Pure Sweat Basketball. It's Drew Hamlin. Before I get into like stuff about Jason, I gotta know, man. Like, when when is Belmont gonna retire your number for just your impact on the NBA community? <laughs> I don't think that's gonna ever happen. <laughs> oh, come on, man! You shot you shot fifty percent from three your senior year, and you have all these clients in the NBA that are doing going from like super promising to already all star level. There's just a lot of your impact on, on the NBA right now is unquestionable. No, I know they show me. They show me a lot of love, though. It's it's pretty cool that um, you know Coach Bird obviously took the program from NAIA to Division One, and then having guys play overseas, um, you know, at a high level. Alex Renfro, who was the guy that started over me my freshman year, and then now having you know Ian Clark in the NBA, and then myself training a bunch of NBA players. It's pretty cool how um, you know how much the program's grown in a, in a short period of time, for sure. You know, I have to thank you too over the summer. I got I I kind of refound my love for basketball because thanks to your your pure sweat videos on YouTube, I started <laughs> I went down a deep rabbit hole of watching just your videos and like some of the things you were doing. Like the first one I I pulled up was the Brad Beal you know uh, hip swivel, and I was like, all right, I can I can maybe do that. And went from that went into the crossover with the pull up J. I was like, this is this is fantastic. And I got back on the court again. And I got my sea legs again. And it felt really great. Uh, I tried the MJ Kobe, you know, the difference between those two, the, the turnaround fadeaways. That was a little bit more difficult for me. No doubt, yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely more complex for somebody that uh, 
that isn't uh, that isn't playing basketball on a daily basis for sure. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Speaking of Brad Beal, though, there was a moment on Christmas. It, Jason and Brad got matched up on each other. At if you're watching that game, because I'm I'm sure you watched that game. Are you like is that like the best Christmas present ever for you? Like, are you like a proud father at that point? Uh, no, it was definitely one of the coolest moments of my career. Just you know, the guys battled out. It was funny yesterday. Um, um, after Jason and I worked out, we FaceTimed Brad because uh, Brad had 20 points in the first half yet last night, and then didn't play in the fourth quarter. And we were like, "Man, you got to play. You guys got to keep the game closer so you can play." And so uh, they already have the next meeting marked down on their calendars, just that they're they're headed against each other. But no, it's really cool. I mean, obviously, I started working with both of them at 13, and to see both of those guys being St. Louis guys, where I was, uh, you know, born and raised, um, you know, have so much of an impact. Um, at the highest level, it's been it's been really special, and then also they're just they're they're more of brothers and less of clients to me, just because we've been working together so long, and um, you know there's so many times where you know I remember both of them getting their permits and you know and and then driver's license and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's just really cool to see them both succeed in that, in, the, in the NBA. Today's episode of Celtics Beat is brought to you in part by eHarmony. If you're trying online dating, chances are. You've run into a few of these problems. Lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that really just don't turn into dates. And you can't get to know someone just by looking at their picture. And this is where eHarmony comes into play. eHarmony is unlike any other dating site. It takes steps that other dating sites do not do in order to find you a more compatible match. And they are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships. It's not just a shallow hookup site. They have helped over a million people find their perfect match because they use years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right match. eHarmony brings compatible people together. There are plenty of hookup sites out there, folks. This is not what eHarmony is. They are looking for true love. And my listeners right now get a free month with eHarmony. They sign up for a three-month subscription. Enter my promo code, SoapSpeed, at checkout against a free month. With a three-month subscription, my buddy Parker is doing this. We are going to talk to him relatively soon about how it's going and what it's like to set up an eHarmony account and why it's different. And we'll go through all those things and we'll talk to basically Parker the Bachelor here on Celtics Beat. And as my buddy's not here the other day, it's kind of interesting that we are doing this with a friend of mine. But I thought this would be kind of a fun experiment for me and for everybody else. Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship today. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps. But when you are finally ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started today. You get a free month with eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month subscription just by entering my promo code SELTICSPEED at checkout. Today's show is also brought to you in part by RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? Because I'm sure some of you out there are scratching your heads. It means that their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. They want to be transparent up front with their customers, which is why they label the core ingredients, egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package and the ingredients that make up the texture and taste on the back, you know, like cocoa and coconut and etc beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes rx bars actually folks you get how this could, could not go this way but these actually taste delicious they found creating a bar made from real whole food ingredients actually tastes better than anything out there they don't need the fillers the additives the chemicals or the added sugar 
How did they start? Well, in 2003, they called BS on protein bars. They couldn't find a bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients. Just that's why they set out to create a bar with a few simple, clean ingredients, which every ingredient serves a purpose. They do all the talk in those ingredients, like eating three egg whites, two dates, six almonds, no BS. Turns out real food ingredients actually taste, I don't know, really good. You can actually taste the cocoa, the real fruit, the spices, like sea salt. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there is an RX bar for you. They come in 11 delicious flavor varieties, no added sugar. They are gluten-free. They are soy-free. They are dairy-free. Look, I have a couple. I'm always into the chocolate ones, always into the peanut butter ones. But I'll give you a little change up here. The maple sea salt. Really interesting, but really delicious. And if you're a New Englander who's used to good maple syrup and the, the joy that brings to one's, one's palate, might want to get in on those. Trust me. And right now, you can go to rxbar.com backslash CLNS. Enter the promo code CLNS at checkout for 25% off your first order. Again, that's off your first order. 25% by using the promo code CLNS at rxbar.com backslash C-L-N-S. Back to Drew. Let's move on just to Jason here because there was a video of you and Jason in an open gym this summer, and Jason's hitting like 18 threes in a row. He missed one, then buried like seven more. Uh, He went from that to now leading the NBA in three-point percentage at the time of this recording. It could change between now and when this actually airs. Um I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I don't think you or anybody involved in just like making things viral. We, nobody made a big enough deal about this video, I don't think, because that's, we, everybody wanted to complain about how Jason Tatum didn't have a great three point percentage in college. You see this video of him just draining open three after open three after open three, and you look at what he's done now in the NBA. I mean, when he first stepped on the floor, when Brad started him in the first couple of the games there, basically all he was supposed to do, you know, was attack closeouts and hit the open shot. And right now, he's gone from a guy that was shooting, what, mid-30% in college to 46% from the NBA line. It, his transformation, Drew, is remarkable. Uh, when did when did you know? I, I, I mean, what happened in college, I guess, is my big question. Because right now, he is just an unbelievably deadly three-point shooter. We just didn't see that when he was at Duke. Yeah, I mean, two things. One thing is we actually changed his shot before Duke, um, and he was shooting the ball – um, the best he's ever shot the ball before, um, you know, he got on campus and then had a great pro day at Duke, had a great blue and white scrimmage at Duke. And then when he got hurt in the early part of the season at Duke, um, he actually had to sit out for like a month. And during that month, they didn't let him do anything, no shooting, no anything. And so when he came back to Duke, um, you know, he went back to his old shooting habits, which was ball pocket over his over his head instead of kind of lowered which is one of the big changes that we made and then also his balance slipped up and it kind of uh, his feet were landing together so basically he slipped up to his old he resorted to his kind of high school shooting form and then uh, mid-season after the North Carolina State game I flew in and um, we just found a gym and and just went and started working out and changed his form and he actually shot 39 percent um, after the NC State game at Duke so you know the, the transformation actually started at Duke people just didn't realize it and then uh, once, a, once the season ended at Duke, um, I actually moved down to um, Durham and, and, you know, got in the gym and we were doing two-a-days. But one of the big things that we did was we uh, just really um, didn't let any slippage occur. And, and we were making close to 400 made threes a day. We did a, a 250 drill where we started each workout by him making 250 NBA threes. 
and then after that we we get up another 150 to to 250 shots and and other workouts throughout the day but um i mean the biggest thing was just we made a couple mechanical adjustments and then after that then we just got a ton of reps and uh he developed a lot of confidence in it um you know when all the he worked out three did three private workouts during the the pre-draft process and shot over 80 percent from three in all three of them and um you know the celtics fell in love with him and and now he's got a home here yeah danny uh i think it was danny or brad it might have been brad actually commented on that when they brought tatum in for the workout he made a whole lot of shots and if you if you make enough shots to to get that impression on Brad Stevens, he must like you said shoot over eighty percent from three point range. He must have made a ton of shots, uh, and he's still doing that in the NBA right now. I have my own answer for this, but I, I'm I'm curious about your answer uh, for this, Drew. What's your favorite thing about Jason? Um, honestly, that uh, that he loves basketball. That's my answer. I mean, he he's obviously really skilled, but that's because he's put in a ton of work. Um, you know, ever since he was little, but I mean, he just loves basketball. You know, he's a guy that craves knowledge, he craves information, and uh, he craves improvement. And so, um, you know, when we were, when he was 13, 14 years old, we started going up at 6 a.m. and working out. And, um, you know, he's a guy that now he's having a lot of success in the NBA. And, you know, my flight got delayed uh, before, uh, you know, it landed at 11.30 and we still went to the gym. You know what I mean? So his love of the game is the thing that impresses me most. And um, I think that because he loves the game, he puts up and um, ultimately he will be great because of it. You know, I, my my favorite thing about Jason actually goes back to a quote, uh, quote from Coach Bennett, and I, I I I love how he learns. Right, so Coach Bennett uh, talked about how Jason can apply things that you like write in a whiteboard, or no, you don't even have to write it on a whiteboard. You can just tell him to his face what he want him to do, and he he can do it and execute it to perfection the first time he hits the floor. That's the one thing I like about him is is just the things that you can teach and how coachable he is. I mean, you can see the game-to-game, week-to-week, month-to-month improvements that Brad and his coaching staff have given him. And I know they haven't had a lot of practice time, um, but you can see literally from – if you were to go back and watch his game, from his, his tape from like week one, week two, week three to right now, you would see a significantly different player. Like they're just – you don't see a lot of 19-year-olds learn, you know, on the fly – the way he learns and adapts and applies the things that they want him to do into the game right away. Like, that's the one thing I love about him. Did you notice that? You know, you were working since he was 14. Did you notice that right away? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been the case all of his career. I mean, he's always been a guy that's uh, been steps ahead of everybody else as far as uh, adapting and learning the stuff that, that we implement in our workouts. But I think it's just because he's, he's got such a foundation, um, you know, and so now he can just layer things on top of what he already knows. So uh, a lot of people are still searching for that foundation when they enter the league. And uh, he's a guy that has almost a vet mentality because he's, you know, been around so many NBA guys and trained like an NBA player for so long. Um, you know, he's basically, even though he's in his rookie year, as far as training and preparation goes, he's in year, you know, four or five, which is, uh, you know, gives him a step up on everybody else. Yeah, I was going to actually, that's uh, funny you mentioned that because that's kind of like my follow-up question here. My, a friend of mine, uh, Jared Weiss, interviewed you uh, for the USA Today Media Group, and you mentioned that, you know, that uh, he is – and, you know, you work with him, and he has different phases of development, uh, and you have it all kind of mapped out, his next phase, his next phase, his next phase, and as he checks off certain boxes, you move on. What phase of development are we on right now for Jason Tatum? You know, I think he's he's obviously adapted really well first year, and, and obviously he's in a different role than we thought. We thought when, you know, he was in college that he was going to go to a bad team because he was going to be a half pick and it was going to have to be just a score that got buckets right away. 
Instead, he's been a really efficient player that's adapted to a winning culture. And so I think the next thing for him is just uh, being able to pick and choose his spots where he kind of uses, utilizes his skill. You know, the other night he had a uh, highlight, you know, play on transition and, um, you know, with a hezzy and then between the leg, behind the back, and everybody's wowed by that. But he has all that in his bag. He's just got to pick and choose when to use it and make sure that he doesn't kind of, um, you know, do so in a way that kind of hurts the team out. So him just being able to kind of slowly adapt and come along and be able to continue contributing on both ends of the court is, is the next stage for him. And I think the, the struggle that he's going to have is always kind of picking spots because he is uh, so good and has so much skill that he can showcase at any time. He mentioned at some point in the season, I don't remember exactly when it was, that he tries to model a lot of his game after Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, which is obviously a good thing to do. I mean, you have two guys on the wing. You know, Melo, obviously one of the best shot getters, what, in the past 20 years in NBA history. And, and Paul George right now, at least Paul George before the injury, was probably the best two-way wing in the NBA in terms of defensibility. Um, now with the injury, uh, he's, you know, still obviously a very good player, top 20 player in the league, but isn't effective uh, as he, as he once was. Are there other guys in the NBA, both past and present, that you like, you will like send him a clip like, hey, you need to work on something like, you know, like this guy does or X guy does or Y player does? No, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is just picking and pulling the best uh, what you can of any player. So I don't think there's any specifics. Um, obviously, the guys you named are the guys that um, that I think he resembles the most. But I think that it's important to remember that, um, you know, at this, at this stage of his career, it's more about just uh, looking at his game and kind of picking and choosing the spots that, that he can improve and, um, and, you know, more tweaking and making adjustments instead of kind of pulling from outsiders, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. Uh, how how much did the Celtics ever contact you, get in touch with you at all? Not just in pre-draft process, but throughout the season, like, hey, next time you see him, can you talk to him about this or anything like that? Or is it just, are you just solely independent, with nobody else involved? Do you like it that way? I'm just, I'm just curious. No, it's definitely a collaborative effort. You know, the biggest thing is that we have, um, we can give Jason the same voices, you know, a consistent uh, kind of mentality and approach throughout the season. So, uh, you know, I've known Coach Stevens since his days at Butler and, um, I know a lot of the front office guys just from, um, you know, them scouting previous guys that I've had in the draft and so on. But, um, no, we have consistent communication. Um, you know, I let Brad do his thing. That's the voice that matters most. And my job is just to make, you know, make sure the skills within the skills, the micro skills are, are taken care of for Jason. So, you know, if he's having an off night or um, something like shooting or something like that, that's where I step in. But as far as uh, the role goes, that's that's all on the team and, and whatever they want. Did they what did they ask you anything specific before the draft happened like because there's a, there was a great article that Adam Himmelsbach wrote for the Boston Globe about um Brad Stevens contacting the the DeMatha Catholic High School uh like uh, one of the academic advisors there asking them how Mark Fultz learns which I thought was a pretty interesting thing to ask uh somebody that has you know dealt with him but did they talk to you before the draft and ask you certain questions I mean, yeah, anytime a team um, goes to draft anybody, they always obviously reach out to everybody they can to get as much knowledge as they can because good information always wins. And um, so, you know, obviously there were a ton of questions and me being close with some of their front office guys. I talked to them a, a lot before the draft. But um, I think that that's just the normal due process before you you want to you know invest millions of dollars and, and kind of um, make a franchise-altering decision when picking a player. So, um, obviously we talked about a bunch of things, but the biggest thing with him is there weren't many red flags, weren't many questions, which is, um, you know, always a good thing when you're in that stage. Are you noticing now 
with some of your clients, maybe Jason's included with that. The, like that, sir, that no matter, because you look at the NBA today and you have so many guys at every position that have skill. Like I think today, the way basketball is going, you have seven footers out there with guard like skills. Are you starting to incorporate that with some of your training? Has that been something you've been doing for a long time now? Because it seems like now, maybe more than ever, like you have Al Horford's a great example of a, just to make it a Boston Celtics reference. He's a great guy uh, uh, in terms of here's a guy seven feet tall that can well six ten that can facilitate out of the high post. He can put the ball in the deck. He can shoot three pointers. He's very good defensively in terms of switching over the over the floor. Are you finding that? particular form of basketball, something that you guys have, have been able to kind of use in terms of training guys for the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, versatility is obviously a big key in the NBA. And, um, you know, the biggest example is Joel Embiid, who's one of my guys who's, you know, seven foot two, but can also shoot the three, put the ball on the floor, and now is developing into a playmaker, which is helping the Sixers win more games. But I think the more you can, the more positions you can guard on defense and, and the more you can stretch the floor on offense is always a good thing, regardless, you know, how tall or small you are. The thing that's really interesting for Celtics fans, Drew, is has been, you know, when you look at Tatum, and I know you're probably not going to answer this question, but I'm just going to ask this anyway. We're all trying to figure out what he is because, again, we, I would say that most basketball fans, when they draft somebody, don't expect the guy to look like this right away. I mean, it's it, just to compare him to other guys. When you look at Donovan Mitchell is a guy that's come out right away and set the world on fire. Kyle Kuzma is a, a similar guy that's come out and just done really well and embraced his role and actually knocked the ceiling off that role and become something much more than they they already did. And we're all trying to figure out what what is what what is the final product here because he has so many skills are now at 19 years old. What and you you always mention like he always has it in his bag of tricks. He always has this. He has that. How how much of Jason Tatum's game have we not seen yet? A ton. I mean, I think that um, you know even if we look at the superstars in the NBA, they weren't the superstars as rookies. You know, there's guys that come in the league like LeBron that come in and um, you know right away kind of showcase what they can do. And there's other guys that you see flashes of greatness. But I think that um, you know as guys kind of um, you know find their roles and everything that you'll see more of a trend of kind of who they actually are as a player but I don't think you can ever really see exactly what a player has in, in their bag of tricks until you know a couple years in the league um, you know if you look at Jimmy Butler if you look at Paul George if you look at Kawhi Leonard all those guys weren't who they were today until you know four or five six years into it so I think as you'll you see you know him grow and stuff like that you'll you'll finally see everything that he's capable of doing. And that'll do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. want to thank my featured guest for this show, Drew Hamlin, of course, the CEO of Pierce Sweat. Again, he is the NBA trainer for a bunch of guys around the NBA. Jason Tatum, obviously, being one. Shemmy Ojale, another. Uh, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, Jordan Clarkson, a bunch of those guys. Drew is one of the best. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, at Evan Valenti, E-V-A-N. V-A-L-E-N-T-I want to thank a couple of people including you guys for tuning in today's show you guys are the greatest people of all time I want to thank my CEO Nick Jelso the founder of CLNS I want to thank my civic producer Larry H. Russell the former host of this show another producer that I want to give a lot of credit to a big shout out to Greg Gasoli who helps me together some good chats every single week Stefano Grotto and Chuck Dietz of course for the music and again one more time you guys for tuning into this show Today is also championship weekend of the NFL. I like the Patriots. 
24-13 over the Jags. I'll see you guys next week here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Media.